Mojo Radio Show News. I say to you, you gotta have Mojo, baby. Yeah. News with a difference. Cheating is on the rise in the workplace, and it's a good thing. Who said you had to have all the ideas? No one person has a monopoly on all the world's great ideas. In fact, sometimes the most unlikely people can come up with the goods, and often that's because they don't feel restricted to the usual norms. Ask your partner, friends or family. Start verbalising or get the ball rolling in an open forum. The seed of an idea might come from your discussion and give you the jumpstart you need. Remember, it's always easy to get too close to a project, so putting a fresh head onto the idea might be just what's required. So it's not really cheating. It's just making the most of all available resources. Mind you, Gordon Gecko did say, cheating is good, cheating is right, cheating works. Live from the basement of Voodoo Sound, it's time to get your mojo working. I got my mojo working, but it just won't work on you. Hey everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Mojo Radio Show. AP, dulcet tones in the house. You ready to rock and roll? For you, Bertie, I'm always ready to <laughs> rock and roll. <laughs> Uh, the guy's just full of one-liners, isn't he? He is full of one-liners. He's full of something else as well. The reason he's turning up each week is he knows it's Christmas time. That's right. And I reckon he is hoping for some Tim Tams Dosecki and probably a couple of bottles of red. But uh, keep at it, champion. You're actually getting, you're actually improving, AP. Yeah, exactly. You know what? Who would have thought that was possible? About the only bottle of red he's going to get, though, is a bottle of chilli sauce. I don't need chilli sauce, Robbo. Well, speaking of chilli sauce, well, we should just welcome everybody to the show. If you are new to the show, welcome. Nice to have you on board the big red bus we call the Mojo Radio Show. If you're a regular, and we did get a note during the week from someone who'd been with us from episode one. Oh, wow. <laughs> God, they were brave. <laughs> I tell you what, that's uh, you deserve a bottle, bottle of rocket fuel for that, for hanging Absolutely. with us for that long, because we were pretty ordinary at the start, and some would say we're still pretty ordinary. However... But we don't listen. We are rocking and rolling on the bus this week. If you are new to the show, what's the show about? We just find people that we think are interesting. This week is no exception. We cover a wide variety of topics. We find experts who are doing something we think is pretty cool, that we can take their tips, their tools, their opinions, the stuff they're doing, apply to our own world to get our own mojo working. Or, in fact, as is an underlying message through the show, is take this stuff so we can help others and be of service to others and help them get their mojo working. But just back on the rocket fuel, we've had a lot of reviews and we are shipping rocket fuel by the caseload at the moment. Caseload? Well, not exactly a case load, but it sounded, it sounded good. It's theatre of the mind. But I just want to um, read one out. So, so Rocket Fuel, what is it? It's our own blend. It's a fermented blend by the guys at Bear Brewing, supplied to us by Chili Bomb, who are a chili subscription company. And anybody who left us a review during Rocktober on iTunes, just a one-line review, we would send them a free bottle. Now, this has got two of the hottest chilies in the world blended into it. Uh, and it's sensational. It's a really, really nice fermented sauce. Thanks to Matt at Bear Brewing and uh, Rodney at Chili Bomb. This is an extraordinary product, which we're very proud of. However, I just want to read this to you. This was one that came in on the 3rd of November. So, missed the deadline. Mm. But don't worry, Blue Halifax 6. Hey, what a cool oh, sounds like Blue a, Halifax. Sounds like a bomber from yeah. World War II. Tell the Blue Halifax 6, come in, please. Blue Halifax 6. Or I mean, Blue I tell you what, he, he, 
and Maverick was sitting in the back seat. That guy was certainly getting his share when he went to the bar at night. So, <laughs> Blue Halifax 6 wrote, Love the style, content and takeaways from listening to these guys. I always learn something and have a good laugh. My daily commute flies by. Well done, guys. Do I get my rocket fuel now? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. Yes, oh, man, yes, we you love do. our listeners. Good Absolutely. on you, Blue Halifax Six. Yeah, mate, I'll hook you up. You just need to get in contact with us. Give us your mailing address, and it's in but, the mail. But, but, but don't touch your dial because you got a treats coming up with a batch of real big stars. The Mojo Radio Show. Now, this week's guest. I think the thing I love about this show, and it's probably one of the most commented things about our little program is the wide variety of topics that we cover that allow us to get our mojo working in and out of work. So we'll attack any aspect of our life where we think we can help people be better, improve their world for themselves, their family or their friends. And I love the fact that we found a topic I haven't heard this delved into very... I haven't heard this delved into very often and... This is going to be a really, really interesting interview because we're going to be talking about reading. It's interesting you say that because I've never heard this delved into as a topic at all. Well, yes, you're right. You do hear people talking about speed reading. Yes. And that is what Abby is known for. However, that's not where we're going to go because I think, as I'm going to ask Abby about during the interview, I think it carries the wrong stigma. Hmm. I prefer to think that this show is about the value of reading And if anything, reading efficiency, which I have never heard spoken about in this way. I came across Abby's work online. I loved it. I got hooked. I took valuable stuff from it that I can share with my family. And thankfully, when I sort of sent a note to Abby and said, look, this is a really interesting topic. And here are some of the things I'd like to go through. (laughs) Abby said, sure, that sounds good. So, Abby Marks Beal, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. This is such an interesting topic, Abby. We've never really had somebody on to dig into this topic. But before we do that, if if you're out and about and somebody says to you, what do you do, how do you like to reply? <laughs> There's so many different answers I could give. Um, I pretty much say that I, I help people read smarter, faster, and just plain better. That's my tagline. Perfect, because that's what we want to talk to you about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Oh, all right. So I'm on the right show. This is good. <laughs> but you know something that's yeah. really interesting, Abby, and I've never heard this spoken about, but when I heard you say it, I thought it was really interesting. You said that before we sit down to do anything, so say we've got ourselves a book or a Kindle, before we even get into the reading part, you've said you've got to take the right attitude to our reading Talk me through how, how do you how do you approach the reading with the right attitude? <laughs> well, it doesn't happen just like oh, I'm going to have a good attitude with my reading. It's more of a under, of an understanding that if you have strategies at your fingertips that you feel confident about attacking that uh, nonfiction novel and uh, not that that's a doesn't make sense. A nonfiction book, not a novel. Uh, nonfiction books are harder to read than novels, and so a lot of times people feel very weighted down when they see a book they have to read or something they've been assigned for an academic class or something for work that's uh, something they have to report on. And there's just this real heavy feeling that you get when you read stuff like that when you don't have strategies. But when you have strategies and uh, how to attack it, it it's doable. 
And so you have a better attitude towards it. You know that it, there's a finite end to it. You know how to get what you need fairly quickly without wasting time. So it's a pretty easy thing to do to change your attitude, but it doesn't, it's not just, oh, I'm going to be happy now about all my reading. It doesn't work that way. It's about learning how to have good strategy. I'm repeating myself, but that's pretty much it. <laughs> are you, with the work you're doing, the people you're seeing, are you, are you noticing that in the last number of years or even the last half decade that we are losing our appetite for reading and learning? Is that something you think is sort of dropping a little off our radar? Well, you know, it's interesting. It's a great question. I think what I have seen, and you know this too, from the advent of the iPhone and any kind of computer device that you're constantly checking, is that people are looking for sound bites. They want something quick. They, they have a really hard time concentrating on one thing at a time. And so when you are constantly doing and going and thinking and answering and responding and you're just constantly, you know, busy that the thought of just stopping and reading and comprehending is a real challenge for people. And so I, I actually suggest to people that they, if they have this issue, it's, it's like a, adult onset ADD is that they start to do more mindful practices like mm. meditation, like yoga, like Tai Chi, just sitting and deep breathing. I mean, people are just so not used to being in their bodies. And once you get into those mindsets, then when you sit down to read, it's a more natural concept. So that's kind of a, a strange answer, but. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's really deep, Abby. And this is. And it, I think it, I struggle with knowing how to frame this for people to take value from it. But, uh, but I'll, I'm going to have a crack. So we've spoken to a number of uh, psychoanalysts, psychologists, people who are working in mindfulness, and there is this belief that you can find online that our attention span is less than a goldfish. So a goldfish's attention span is, say, nine seconds. The average human is eight seconds. And when I mention this oh to people, my. they kind of go, ha-ha. And you say, well, sit on a bus or a train and watch how people scroll so quickly through their social feed. They're not even looking at a picture. They're certainly not reading anything. And so it makes me feel like that that attention or lack of attention or scanning and skimming and our, how, how hard it's making it for us to focus on something are we diminishing the value that we take from a book, the joy we take from a book, because we're used to skimming stuff and flicking through it without really looking at it? Is that then transposing itself into the joy and beauty of a, a book? It's possible. I, I believe it's certainly, you know, credible as an idea. I think a lot of people have a real hard time or justifying sitting down. And, and so it starts always with sitting down, right? So that means stopping. Um, and to, to read something in, more than a page or two at a time and to connect ideas without you know, jumping off and going on to something else. It doesn't mean that there aren't people that read. I know there are people that read, but a lot of times <laughs> <laughs> there, there's just not as many doing it as well as they should. Let's put it that way. Yeah, that's kind of where I was going. I think you just said it more articulately than me. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've had my coffee today. You're, you're still on your first cup, I think. <laughs> exactly, true. <laughs> Abby, do you reckon it's on authors a little to maybe work in that 
in within those boundaries a little bit as well. And the reason I ask is because I've been doing a bit of work reading in inverted commas, like business reading in the last couple of weeks and using the local library. And I'm finding more and more there are a lot of like in inverted commas, teach yourself marketing in a week, like little thin books with short chapters um, that you can pick up and blitz through a couple of chapters in half an hour, say. So I'm wondering whether you think authors sort of should take on, well, not should take on some responsibility, but take that on board and write a little more in that way. You mean shorter, sweeter to the point? Yeah, like taking into account the fact that someone's probably not going to sit down and read this for three hours. They're going to sit down for 20 minutes and and sort of blitz through what they can get through. So it's not as much the author as it is the publisher. Right. So the publishers are the ones that need to know and typically know the markets. Uh, although a lot of people do a lot of self-publishing, so that's also you know a whole other realm. But definitely a feeling of accomplishment. I think having 30, 40-page chapters is difficult for people because most people say, I'll read to the end of this chapter and then I'll stop. But if you have a 30 or 40-page chapter, that's a long way for someone to have to go. Whereas if you have a chapter that's 10 pages long, I think people are going to like that more because they're going to get this feeling of accomplishment, even though they're not getting as far, but they're getting something done and they have an ending point, a starting point and an ending point. Something I heard you talk about, Abby, which I found fascinating, is that there's actually research and data that creates a relationship between success or successful people and those that read. Can you run that data for us of how those two things sit together? So without having all the exact numbers, I can tell you um, where I get some of it from is from a gentleman named Tom Corley. You might want to have him on your your podcast, by the way. He has uh, an organization called the Rich Habits Institute. He has some really interesting statistics about wealthy people and that people who are wealthy read a lot more than people that don't, like 30 minutes a day. And they also, there's certain habits that they have, like they don't eat at fast food restaurants and they get enough sleep per night, you know, things like that. But there's nothing that's difficult for anybody to do except the reading part, I think. A lot of people won't sit down and say, I'm going to read 30 minutes a day. Like, yeah, I don't have time for that. Like, but how much time do you have for your television show? And it's an hour, two hours, three hours you're watching or binge watching something on, on Netflix or something like that. So if you think of, you know, foregoing just 30 minutes of one of those activities per day, Tom Corley says you have a much higher chance of being wealthy. So I think it's wealthy in money, but it's also wealthy in information and creativity and ability to, to deal with many life's uh, you know, shortcomings and there's just so much you can get from 30 minutes a day of reading. Yeah, and I there's so much, when you start reading biographies or autobiographies or listen to people who are interviewed now about some of the great leaders of our lifetime, I had an interview yesterday saying Mark Cuban, who's this amazing investor and thought leader, he reads three hours a day. Reed Hoffman from LinkedIn actually knows Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook and said that he is a learning machine. Jeff Bezos has been described as a ferocious reader. Um, And when you go through a lot of the people at the front of technology or business, uh, social endeavours, it's really interesting that it seems to be a non-negotiable part of their day. And people say, well, it's okay for them because they're all rich and stuff. But you think about how much these guys are controlling, how much they're doing. It, It seems... 
it seems, Abby, it's actually not just a matter of we should be doing it and they do it. It's more so what are you prepared to let go of in order to make the room for reading, isn't it? Yeah, I, if it's not a part of your routine, that's true. That is true. And for some people, it ends up being a different sleep schedule where they may need to go to bed earlier and get up earlier if the morning if they're morning people. As people get older, the morning becomes more attractive. You know, my teenage son does not think so whatsoever. But as you <laughs> as you get older, you do. And so for some people, like for me, when I wrote my book Ten Days to Faster Reading, I had, you know, a young child at home. I had two kids at home actually at the time. And the only quiet time I had was between five and seven in the morning. And so it's kind of like that would be the time that I would also get up to study when I was doing my master's degree program, because that was the time that I was freshest, even though I was tired, but I was freshest, my brain was ready, and I could get stuff done. And so I think it's about adjusting your schedule to make sure that you take your um, active, mindful, awake time and use it for this kind of activity. If you're a night owl, then you should have your reading at night. Or if, you, if noontime, you're like cruising along really well, that's not when you should be doing email. That's when you should be doing your reading. So it's about knowing your body's rhythms too and saying, when am I most awake? That's gold. That's gold. gold. <laughs> uh, now let's get down to some of the... Um, some of the specific strategies that you've got here, Abby. One thing that I thought was terrific, and I, and I need you to explain it for me, for my little brain. You said that you can multiply your reading effectiveness by taking a few minutes before you start reading to decide why you're bothered to read in the first place. Just set that up for me. So I've got to be in the library got the book. Let's just talk through some of the specifics for effectiveness of making this book work for me. Where does it start? What's the why bit? So I, I first want to thank you for, for studying my stuff. I'm very, very <laughs> impressed and pleased that you did. Because so, you, you, you definitely pulled out something that I, I love to talk about, which is setting the intention. And it, it, it sounds you know like a bullet point, you know, set the intention. But it's mm. really about Making your mind up, why am I reading this and what do I need it for? I mean, everybody has a pile of material, be it magazines or books or reports or even in your inbox of your your email. And it's deciding, why am I reading this right now? Is this important to something I'm doing for work, for my personal life? Is it something I'm really eager to learn more about? Uh, And then what do I need it for? Maybe it's just for my own edification. Maybe it's because I need it to share it with a colleague. Maybe it's because I'm going to school and I need to know this for a class that I'm taking. And so you at least have the justification as to why you're doing it and then what are you going to use it for? So that when you actually sit to read it, and again, sit, it's, it's interesting. I just realized I said that again. To sit to read it is that you are thinking to yourself, how am I going to use this best for this purpose? So, and I give an example sometimes that if you're reading a book about um, motorsports, let's say you're a car fanatic and you're reading a book about the history of motorsports uh, or all about motorsports, but you really don't care about the history. You want more about who who are the champions, how do they become uh, fast car drivers, how do they do this and that. And you come upon a chapter on history, you might just either A, skim it or B, skip it because it doesn't match why you're there and what you need it for. 
So there are times where I'm reading uh, an interview, let's say, you know, on on the web or a blog post, and I'll just start reading first sentences of paragraphs because that's going to tell me what's going to be inside that paragraph and do I want more. If I want more, then I can keep reading. If not, I'll just stop after that first sentence and go to the next paragraph and say, okay, is there something here I want? And so it's a, I call it active, mindful, and conscious reading. It's very different than a lot of people were taught. It's very different to the way we normally read, isn't it? Because you, you sort of, you've got to have an intent of what you're actually looking for. Is that, that's what we're saying, right? It, yeah, it means you have to be awake when you read. Yeah. <laughs> it's like people are just like, oh, I have something to read. Let me put my eyes on the word. Let's hope it goes into the brain. And then I'll go to the next word and hope it goes into the brain. But when you have a, an intention and a reason and a strategy, it's like, like, okay, I get this and I can do it and I'm pretty good at it and I'm efficient and it makes sense. Now, you just said, Abby, something I want to rewind to. You just talked about looking at the first sentence of each paragraph. And also I've heard you talk about even before you get to that, go through the outline, the author's outline of where where the book is and where it's going to go to. These are a couple of the tools you talk about for speeding up your reading capacity. Can you talk me through how I do that? I've grabbed a book. Tell me why it's important to go to the outline and then specifically how, what process do I follow with this paragraph suggestion in order to not, well, I don't know if I'm looking for speed reading, but speed up the way I read a book and potentially comprehend it. So I use, um, I like the example of like the 10,000 foot view first. So if you go to a new city, you've never been there before and you want to learn your way around, you could start walking. You know, it gets pretty tedious after a while. You make a left, you go straight, you go make a right and you, you try to find what you need. But you know, eventually you'll get there, but it takes a long time. Instead, let's say that you took 10 minutes and you, got yourself up in a helicopter and you looked at this town that you've never been to before and you, immediately you see the police station, the hospital, the schools, you know, the expensive homes, the less expensive homes, the ho- you see everything. And then you come down after only 10 minutes. So now you have a much better grasp of where you are. And if you needed to go, let's say to the fire station, the police station, the hospital, you're going to know which direction to head. Mm. And so Using that example, think about a chapter in a book that you've never read before that you kind of want to get that 10,000-foot view like the helicopter saying, what all is here? So then when I actually land that helicopter and I need to start walking, that I have the right direction to go in. Does that, does that make sense? That's nice. See, I don't hear people talking about this stuff before. Abby, I think it's so powerful <laughs> for, for anybody listening to it to start to think about because we hear about speed reading, and we'll get onto that shortly, mm-hmm. but... I just find, see, one of the things that I, I, I don't know, I question, I guess, is people's comprehension. And I just, I love seeing somebody immerse themselves and getting into a flow in a book where they're really reading either for enjoyment or for adding value to the world to make them better at some aspect or just Mm -hmm. for curiosity. But I don't know. I just feel as though today that we are lacking the joy of really immersing ourselves in a book for one of those reasons. And I love this stuff for, because you're quite right. You go to a city and generally what I would do is you just start walking. You just start going and look at stuff. But you're quite right. You've now got me thinking, well, where is the highest point? 
to try mm-hmm. and get a bigger picture. And I've never really thought about it from a reading perspective before. And so I'm, I'm glad to share that perspective with you. And let me answer then the rest of your question, which is how do you find it in reading material? I don't want to leave the listeners hanging. They're like, okay, well, great. How do I get into a helicopter over my book? You know, it does, you got to have a way to do it, right? So, so here's the way you get into a helicopter over your chapter is that you first understand that, and, and this really works pretty much solely for nonfiction or factual material because um, fiction material doesn't have an outline. Fiction is whatever the creative author wants to write about. But it's the nonfiction factual stuff that people have the issue with. So anybody who's written nonfiction, and I included, that every chapter starts from an outline. That's how we write. We create outlines and then we flesh out the outline. And so when you're reading a chapter understanding that you're reading a fleshed out outline should immediately trigger you into thinking, wow, where's the outline? Let me find it. And so it's very simply in titles, subheadings, you know, you'll find stuff in bullet points, but it's also in the first sentences of every paragraph and in order, instead of going from page five to page two to page eight to page three, you start in order from page one to page 10 And you look and see what's the main header, what are the subheadings that go under it, and read the first sentence of each paragraph under it. And you're you're going to hear, in effect, the the writer's outline. And if you were to and if you had to take notes from it, like this, this is like a no-brainer. When my kid came home from like eleventh grade, and his history teacher said, "I want you to outline chapter twelve, whatever, outline it." And he came home, and his head was, you know, in in his hands, like, "How am I going to do this, mom? It's so hard." And I just like laughed hysterically. I said, "Let mom show you how to do this." And mm. it was like, "Oh, it's really wow, that's so easy." I'm like, "Yeah, it is, but I bet your friends don't know this." So you can teach them something now. It was like a very easy assignment and something that everybody should learn how to do, at least mentally, is how to find the writer's outline. Is there a difference, Abby, between the comprehension we're taking from a digital reader to a paper or hardback? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, I can't say I've seen any statistics on that. I do believe that there are people who prefer paper and some people that prefer a screen. So if you're reading on a screen, um, I mean, some of the strategies I talk about can definitely apply on a screen, even if you don't like reading on a screen, so that you can be efficient with it, because we do read on screens a lot. But I think that a lot of people find that they choose their method, and they should be reading on their preferred method, and that's how they're going to get more enjoyment and, and make it easier on themselves. Some people love the Kindle, some people love their iPad, and some people are really frustrated because their finger on it makes it you know, advance too fast or change color or whatever, and they don't like it, so they like to have their books. So Yeah. I wonder if you can speak to this then, because I, I tried reading on my iPad, and I found, like we were talking about distraction earlier, I found exactly that. I found like a, a notification pops up about an email or, you know, a Facebook thing pops up or whatever. And all, all, with, automatically you find yourself going there and, and then you think, well, hang on, why have I done that back to the book? Um, and so I've, I've actually, my experience in the last few weeks of sort of getting back into reading after a long time has been that I, do, I would rather go to the library and grab a hardcover book and bring it home and sit out the back with a cup of coffee and just immerse myself in it. Uh, that's, that's me too, I'll be honest. 
I, I, I get documents fairly frequently. It could be, you know, 25, 30 page documents that I need to review for something. And I typically will print it out. Okay. I'm sorry. I do. I print it out and sit in the back with a cup of coffee and enjoy it because to me, I'm on my computer a lot, like all day long. And I don't want to sit to read something like that. Um, you know, on my computer, I would rather move my position. Even though I can move a laptop, you know, somewhere else, I'd rather not even be on my electronics. I'd rather be on paper. So it does, I don't do it all the time, but I totally get the paper thing. I think it's generational to a certain extent, although I've met quite a few young people that say, I really do like the books. Are they ever going to go away? I'm like, (laughs) not not if you have anything to say about it, they won't. (laughs) So, you know, um, Abby, just and I'm not sure if you can answer this for me, but I quite often, when I'm out and about, will give people a list of my preferred books or the most valuable books I've read in the last couple of years because I think it's nice getting recommendations from people because uh, I don't like the thought of digging into a book and not getting value from the book in either in entertainment or uh, value to make you better at some discipline. And... General, all of the books I recommend are non-fiction. And then a lady recently in one of the gigs I was doing, she said, well, what about, your, what about your fictional stuff? Do you read that? And I said, well, I do. But to me, it's very subjective to say, here's what I think you might enjoy or get value in because it's so personalised. My question is, is there any research data or findings that you've come across that show the impact of fiction versus nonfiction on the wellness or health of the brain? That's a great question and not one that I think I have ever been exposed to, to be honest. I think there's, there's as you may understand, there's two, two sides of the brain in hemisphericity, the left side, the right side. The left side is the more detailed, um, rule-based side, whereas the right side is the more creative, artistic side. And so typically I find that people who are are think more creatively and artistically like their fiction, whereas people that are more business-like like to have their nonfiction. So that's that's all I can say in general. But I don't know about studies. I haven't seen anything. It's a good a good idea though. Take me through talkers versus thinkers <laughs> as a concept. <laughs> Who are they? How does it from? work? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been following you, Abby. You have. I'm. I'm getting creeped out. No, sorry. <laughs> no, Don't I'm look at, out your I'm, window, Abby. <laughs> I'm honored, and I know you're worlds away, so I'm good. <laughs> so the talker, uh, uh, someone who is a talker, is, is someone who reads somewhere around 150 to 200 words per minute average, and that, believe it or not, is a is a pretty common average at least from people that I uh, experiment with or I give them a timed reading exercise to do. And so a talker is very common. At least here in the States, we teach people um, to sound out words when you read, sound it out, hear it in your head. It's phonetics. And so as we learn how to read, we do this, but they forget, they, the education system forgets to tell you that once you have a good sight vocabulary about age you know, 13, 14, grade 7, 8 here, that you don't need to be sounding it out here in, in, in your head anymore, that you can actually put words together that make sense into groups. And those are what are called thinkers. And thinkers are pretty much people that naturally read thoughts, so more than one word at a time. And so there's a difference between like 150 to 350 word per minute. And these are just starting rates, though, understand that 
it just helps you know where you your propensity is when you first begin, and then we kind of help capitalize on that once you know where you start. This is something I've started doing, and I, I, it, 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 it's re- it's interesting for me for a number of reasons. I've I've started keeping my top fifty books, so I've got a separate bookshelf, and there's this whole thing that the more books you've got the more intelligent it makes you look. But I just found that I had all these books from God, 20 or 30 years that I've never looked at again and never will look at again. So I started giving them to the library or the local charities because I figure somebody else can get value from them or it might be able to go in the library and increase their, their range of books and so on. But I kept my top 50. So what I've started doing is going back to these books and rereading them some 10, 15 years later. And I've discovered a couple of books and we've got the authors coming up on the show later this year and early in 2018 for books that I read in 2003. What I found fascinating was there was stuff in there that I'd missed, recapping the learnings that I'd taken from that book. But the other thing that really surprised me, Abby, was that quite often the stuff that was written about in 2003 is even more pertinent today than it was back when it was written. Is there, do you find this as being something that is a great tool for us? Do we not think about it? Because I figure if you're paying 20 or 30 bucks for a book, you might as well get your value from it. But I've been, it surprised me that I've gone back to these books and actually extracted more value and I guess different learnings because it's a, it's a decade later. Is that something you come across very often or am I just sort of out in a limb here? <laughs> so I think I think people you, you get what you need out of something when you need it at the time, and repetition is the key to learning. And so the more times, let's say you see, oh, so I'll give another example. You see a movie, you see it one time, and you say, okay, I saw that movie. But then you happen to catch it again on TV, and you watch it again, and you're like, I don't remember that. Oh wow, okay, now oh. I didn't remember that he did that or she did this or whatever. And it's, it's like every time you're exposed to something, you get something else. And so um, there are quite a bit of books that are antiquated, especially anything that had to do with technology. Like back in 2003, the search engines were very different than what they are now. So some of that stuff would be a little antiquated. But for the most part, there's a lot of things that, that are – you think they're old. 2003 sounds like a long time ago, but it really wasn't that long ago you know, in the scheme of things, unless you're talking to a teenager and then they think it's like forever. forever. Um, so 2000, <laughs> forever. Oh my gosh. You know, they were born in 2003 at this point. It's a very different thing, but for older people, I think too, I, I really do think there's a lot of value in reading some of your old books, but I totally understand the feeling of wanting to keep your books because they become a part of you. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, it, it's, it proves your intellectual worth when you have these books on your, sh- on your shelf that you've read or researched or studied or whatever. And it, it's hard to get rid of them. I get that totally. I do. Mm. Tell me something. You, you have a want to read pile. Tell me uh, what's the thinking behind a want to read pile? There's so many things that I want to read. And, and I think any, any person who is interested in life, be it a parent that wants to be better as a parent or, you know, your profession, you want to be- become something to have a profession or to do well in your profession, needs to read, definitely needs to read. And so if you need to read, then you need to have some sort of uh, strategy for how you're going to, to keep 
reading the things that you want to read, right? So, oh my, I just had a menopause moment. Help me out here. <laughs> a menopause moment. Now, Gary has those regularly. Moment. <laughs> 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 wow. Tell me again. Tell me again. I was heading somewhere, and it just like the, the want to read part. Yeah. The there you go. See, I wanted to read. That was it. No. So, so what? Ha- so, what, long time ago, when I had a brain before I had menopause, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I had uh, a pile of magazines uh, about mm, eight years into my career. So, I've been teaching speed reading since 1988, and so about 2005 or so, 2006, I had this. Uh, or no. 1995, 1996, there we go. Uh, I had this pile of reading material and I was just really depressed because I had a pile of reading material and I said, how could a speed reading expert that I think I am, I've already written a book on it and felt you know, strong about it, why do I have this reading pile? And it occurred to me that I'm just like everybody else, that either I've subscribed to too much or I'm interested in too much and I'm not making enough time to get to it. And so by the time I made this realization, I said, okay, what can I do to get in control of this pile? So I I started this four-part process that I I hope some of the listeners will do. And basically, it involves first to take all the material that you have piled up, be it on your nightstand, next to your toilet, you know, on your bed, uh, not on your bed, on on your kitchen counter, on your desk, everywhere. Put it all together because that's all the stuff you want to read, even though you've segmented it out in all these different places. And then the second step is to rank it on a scale of one to 10, one is low, 10 is high, of what you feel its value is to you right now. So there may be things in that, in that pile that you had value feelings about maybe two years ago because it was important to you at the time, but you never got to it. It just didn't happen. And now it, it might've been an eight, but now it's down to a three. So you want to have each one of these things have a number. Sometimes put a post-it note on it or a marker on it just so you have numbers. And so once you have this scale of one to 10 on all the stuff you have, then you want to take everything that's six and higher and put that in a pile and anything under six, put that in a pile. And the six and under pile is not important to you. It's not a value to you. And it's the stuff you really need to get rid of. Unsubscribe if it's consistently the same magazine, if it's a book that you you have in there, you know, you obviously don't want it. It's not of value to you because chances are what you have six to 10, there's plenty in that pile. Mm. And then you take, take that six to 10 pile and say, okay, from this, how much time do I have to read on a regular basis? And be honest, you know, if you're watching TV more than you're reading, then no, but if you're going to do 30 minutes a day, then you're going to read more of that pile. So once you kind of get about a monthly average, let's say it's six hours a month or 10 hours a month, how much of that pile do you think you're going to read in 10 hours? And then whittle the pile down again so that that pile reflects maybe one to two months worth of reading. And that's it. And so now when I have time to read and I make time to read, that's a pile I want because I've chosen it. It's a value to me and I have made it into a digestible mm. amount. It's so good. I, I hope that I makes like sense. that idea because you know what? I have got reading material in pretty much all those places you talked about. <laughs> <laughs> I just think about tick, yep, 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 yep. I've got yep. reading material everywhere, which is a good thing because whenever I sit down anywhere in the house, we've got a pretty big house, anywhere I sit down, I've got reading material. But then I go 
to specifics. And I know there's stuff that I'm just not going to get to. So I'm going to do that. The, the other thing that I find interesting with this, Abby, and I think I've heard you talk about this before, is that when I go to the library, uh, I take out four books at a time and I pile them up. And because I've got a month or so to get through them, I don't stress about it. But I find that having a couple of books in front of me makes me want to get through the book that I'm in without rushing it, but getting through it because I want to get to the next one and I've got like a deadline for it as opposed to it sitting on the nightstand and it's like, well, it's not going anywhere. I'll eventually get to it. Because when I speak to people, one of the biggest things I hear is I've got two or three books that I've half started that are sitting that have been there for six months and I haven't finished them yet and nothing's getting done. But I find, and I think I heard someone talk about this strategy, it may have been you, but if you have a number of books in front of you, it sort of draws you through the one you've got because you're looking forward to the next one. Is that something you do, you've seen, heard? Was it you that was talking about that? It could have been me. I'm not sure. But I do think that um, taking, once you have this pile of books, by the way, you can put it back, you know, by your bed, by your toilet, by the kitchen, by your work. But as long, it'll be less. It'll be less. It will be less. And that I think that if, I, I think I read a statistic, and, and again, don't quote me here, that most books are half read because people, they, they buy a book because like even my, one of my books on, on speed reading, they get through chapter three or four or five, they got some value out of it and they're done. They're like, okay, I can check that off my list. I'm done. And so the rest of the book gets you know, shelved. It really doesn't get read. And so I certainly am guilty of that. I don't know if if you guys are, but um, I think a lot of people just say, I got something from it. I'm done. And now I want to move on to something else. If you think of how many books have you actually finished, a nonfiction book that you read the whole thing, I, I think there's probably a smaller percentage is a guess. But again, I don't have any statistics. See, that's interesting because I'm, I'm a completist. Uh-huh. <laughs> do, you suffer from, do you suffer from completism or are you the – and the reason I asked the question, I remember sitting uh, it was in, in America in a workshop and the presenter had started speaking and about 15 minutes into it, this guy next to me, he was, he was quite a hippie, free-living, free-love type dude – and he got up, started packing his bag. I said, where are you going? He said, I'm not getting anything from this. I'm going to the next one. Mm. And he just walked out. <laughs> and I went up to him. And, he, and it was one of these workshops where there were a number of sessions going concurrently at any given time. And I went up to him in the break and I said, what, what was going on there? He said, well, I fear I'm wasting the presenter's time if I'm not getting something from this. I'm here for a particular reason. I have my why. I'm doing it with intention. And I figured I would go and try and find a better use of my time for my learning for what my intention is. And then I've never forgotten that sort of moment. Not that I've done it, but I kind of, I get where he was coming from. And then I look at books and I go, well, is it wrong to be a completist and suffer from completism? Or is it the right thing to go saying either I got something, so now this book's paid for itself, or I've got enough, or I figured this book is, I've got something, this book is going nowhere. I'm not going to risk the hours to put in to hope there's something else in this book. Where do you sit on this completism thing? Oh, I'm, I'm so, I'm such a generalist on this that I don't think there's any one way to be. 
I've never been that way. And so I think it's everybody needs to do what's right for them. Some people do need to finish what they start they, and, they, and they don't feel complete unless they do. And other people like this gentleman in this workshop that you were in just said, my time is valuable. I want to make sure I'm getting as much as I can out of this and I'm going to you know, take up my bag and, and go somewhere else because I want more than what I'm getting. Now, a lot of people I think are probably suffering who get a book, let's say from the library, and they say to themselves, I have, I took out four books. This first book I started and I really don't like it, but I'll be darned, I'm going to finish it because I'm not going to be able to get to these other three. But let me tell you, your library has, you know, 150,000 titles, chances are, or more. And so there's lots more out there. So if you're suffering after a couple of chapters of something and you're going, wow, I don't like this writer's style. I'm not getting, he's not getting what I need or she's not explaining this well, close it and go get another one. There's so many that are out there that are going to make your reading time more worthwhile. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I picked up this Thomas the Tank Engine book just the other day and it <laughs> didn't really cut it for me. So I, I went and found a Fireman Sam one instead. Worked really well. That's because the words were too big for you, mate. You've got to start, you've got to appreciate the fact you're not at this level yet. That's right. You can't go over it. You can't go under it. You've got to go through it. You know that. The words are just too big for you. I'll stick at it. I promise. Now, Abby, you just mentioned a word called generalists. And this is something that I think is a skill or a thought process that I am seeing more of that I think... I don't know. I like this premise. And and the reason I raise it is I saw recently the term expert generalist. And it was referring back to Elon Musk, who, of course, is, you know, a a super, super mega innovist (laughs) in so many different fields. And they called him an expert generalist because when he was a kid growing up, he was reading two books a day. So let's put that aside for a second. But he would he would read stuff like, you know, science and then he'd read fiction, philosophy, religion, uh, programming, uh, biographies, autobiographies of scientists, engineers and stuff. And apparently he's now kept doing that, but now he's expanded that into more, you know, business and technology, energy design. And they called him an expert generalist. To me... That's an interesting concept to us to explore in the number of books or reading material we approach each year to get outside not just our own field of interest, whether it be in fiction or nonfiction, but also exploring the fringes and new areas that really stretch the brain. What what do you know about being an expert generalist? I can understand why he has that title. I totally can understand that. I think it's about his ability to think in so many ways and broadly because of all of his reading. I mean, when you read a book, you're basically reading someone's experience or advice or uh, a history or a biography. And so imagine, you know, if you read two books a day uh, and you read widely, you didn't just read on, you know, space exploration, let's say, but you read about all different historical novels and you read about technology and you read, uh, you know, about food and nutrition. I mean, you name it, you read it. It's like all of a sudden, it's like you can put so many different ideas into your thought processes that other people can't. 
And so it's a very it's it's not pigeonholed. It's very broad, and there's something very good about that. That's that's very positive, very creative about that. I think. It, I mean, I think I totally respect Elon Musk. I think I'd like to have his money, however, more than I would want his reading material. Uh, but I, I think he. I think he. He deserves that title. That's a great title for him. Have you seen any interesting? Maybe you've applied to your own world with the experience you have in reading. And literature. Have you seen any interesting ways of capturing notes and learnings from the stuff you're reading that can then be used? And the reason I ask the question is because later on this week, I'm interviewing a guy who is very, very good at the Stoics, and he's an expert in Stoicism. But what I have found in doing research on him is his amazing ability to recount quotes and stories and anecdotes from the stuff he's read or heard. Like He can answer any question with an example of something and word-for-word quotes. And I'm curious from him, how, how do we take the best value from books to be able to take it, learn it, remember it, and then go and use it? What do you do or what have you seen as being good tools for that? So a lot of times um, when people say, I read, I, read, I read this great book on vacation, and you ask them, so, you know, t- what was the name of it? And they, they're like stunned because no one thought that they were going to be tested on it, <laughs> you know, and said, well, who wrote it? Uh, I think it was started with a J, you know, I'm not sure. You know, and then I then you say, well, what was it about? Oh, and so they'll give you like two sentences about what they thought it was about, but they really don't have all the detail because when they read it, they didn't expect to have to use it more than just enjoyment. So when somebody reads a a, a non a nonfiction book, again, it's that whole idea of why am I reading this? What do I need it for? Concept so that you're more intentional because you know you're going to need it and use it at a later time. Then highlighting things like using a highlighter perhaps if it's a physical book and i think on like pdfs you can also use highlighting of sorts but highlighting only a keyword or a phrase you don't need to highlight you know everything that's there so that you can immediately get the essence so i have some books on my shelf that i know i've read you know maybe 250 page books and now when I'm doing some research on something that I need that information again I don't have to read all 250 pages all I have to do is skim through where I have the highlights and read what I thought was important at the time of what I've read and so I can I can literally get through a book in 10 or 15 minutes now because I already read it and I highlighted it I also will sometimes in, again, it's on paper because I'm, I'm a fan of paper, is in the back of a book, if there's a blank page or two or even the back cover, if it's blank or I'll add a piece of paper in the back, I will write down like page 72, see graphic about blah, blah. and then Or I'll say page 75, information about something. And so this way, all the, the key points are in the back of that book for future reference if I need it. So... So those are, those are some of the things that I do. I think some people in high technology use like Evernote and they'll start making notes in Evernote or, or OneNote or some other program like that to capture the ideas and then make them more usable. Mm. So there's, there's different, you have to have that intention. It's going back to why am I reading it and what do I need it for? And then setting yourself up with the intention of, of finding a way to remember it or use it. So you've got 
a number of great speed reading techniques in your books, Abby. And one thing I heard, I'd just be interested to see whether you have come across this, used it or talk about it, is sometimes when we talk about reading, people say, well, I actually don't like books, but I like audio books. So they'll go into audible.com, get the book, listen to a number of sessions in the car or commuting, which I, which is terrific. I mean, there's got to be, I suspect, as much benefit from an audio book as there is from a from a, a paper book. So I'm interested in your thoughts on that. And the second thing that I have heard, I think it was Naval Ravikam was with James Altucher on his show and he's talked about how he now listens to podcasts on one and a half times speed because he is teaching himself or testing it to see whether he can get the same comprehension. And I've started doing that for the last couple of months on podcasts and I find you can actually train your brain to do it is is that, I guess my question is, is that a speed reading version of audiobooks versus what you talk about in the paper book? Do you, have you heard that? Is there any research behind it? Like, what do you know about that type of stuff? Wow, you, you asked some really interesting questions. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been asked that uh, ever in any of my interviews. So let me, let me attack the first question question you had first about audiobooks in general. Uh, and I, I totally believe that audiobooks and podcasts, especially ones like yours that are informative and educational, are very helpful. And they're almost, they really are reading in a way because it's the same kind of information you're getting as if you were to read the interview instead of hearing it. So hearing it is lovely for people like me who has who have to drive an hour each way to get to an office. And so I get to listen to almost, you know, a whole podcast and I feel like I'm not wasting my time. Um, I'm learning something new. I'm, you know, keeping up with the world. And so it's it's like another time that I can use for bettering myself, if that makes sense. Mm. So that said, my book, 10 Days to Faster Reading, I've put into so many different formats. It's, you know, it's a print form, but I also have the ebook rights and then I have it in my online course. And then I, I actually, and I laughed every time I did it, I created an audiobook for my book, 10 Days to Faster Reading, because I know there are people that want to learn how to read faster. And the last thing they're going to do is read a book about it. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I spent my time and energy and I, I created an audio book that's up on Audible. And so I do get people coming to me after they've listened to the book or parts of the book. Um, and they then take my online course because they have now bought into the concepts that I've talked about and want to actually physically do it. So I think there's there's a lot of value, you know, with, with audiobooks and podcasts, for sure. Do you know anything, is there any science behind it in terms of speed reading on audiobooks? Because what I found, and I'm listening to it on one and a half, I'm easing myself into it. This guy said, listen to it at double speed. I, my brain oh, can't get my head around double speed, right? <laughs> Particularly when you get someone who's quite excitable, like... If you listen to Gary Vaynerchuk on double speed, he's a chipmunk. And <laughs> you cannot, you just, you, your brain, and I'm sure it's how his brain works at that pace, I cannot keep up with him. Yeah. One and a half, I can kind of stay with him if I had, had enough coffee. Uh, but I'm wondering <laughs> whether there is something in that in terms of can you, can you speed read audiobooks 
which you can do on any podcast one and a half times, is that the same? I don't know. What's behind that? Is there any value? Is it? Am I missing something? Is it doable? I can't say it's become a trend. It has not become a trend. And thank you for <laughs> reminding me that I, I forgot to answer that before. That was another menopause moment. I was like, oh yeah, there was another part of that question. So thank you. Um, so the speed issue, I think this is just more of an anomaly. I, don't, I honestly don't believe you can because a person talks an average of 150 to 200 words per minute. That's where the talker concept comes from. And we think upwards of 350. And even long time ago, I don't know if you ever saw these, but like, like Federal uh, Express commercial, FedEx commercials, they would have speed talkers doing the commercials. Mm-hmm. And even then, they were only up to maybe 300 words a minute and how fast that they were able to talk. And so you have to be able to let your brain process what it hears, but you don't need to feed it feed it like that in in an auditory fashion. You're better off not doing it that way, getting the transcript and then quote unquote speed reading it um, because you'll, you'll be able to get what you need better than trying to really focus on what this person is saying. I, I could just imagine being tense, listening to one and a half speed, like don't touch me, don't bother me. I can't take a sip of anything. I have to listen completely because if I don't, then I'm going to be in trouble. And so there's just way too much tension around it. That, that's just my, my impression of what that would be like. Yeah, I've got, I've got a few speeding tickets in my car because I tend to be uh, <laughs> matching the volume of Gary Vaynerchuk. But, you know, I must say that it's interesting with that, Abby. The one thing I would say, and I'm, people could try it, absolutely. You can do it easily on podcasts. There's a little button that goes normal time. You can even slow it down. I do find at times that I do miss the enjoyment of being in a conversation with somebody. And I think because I speed it up, I do miss some of the intentions and I do miss some of the emotions and the thought-provoking delivery of what they're saying. So I do at times feel myself reaching for it to go, uh, I kind of, I think I'm prioritising the learnings over the enjoyment of being in the conversation with somebody. So I think there is something to be said about that. I believe uh, you're right. And I think it's, again, the it's a person's, personal preference. I would never, uh, and and that's one of the things people have commented on in in any of my materials that I've written, and even in my courses, is that I don't say, this is the way to do it. I always say, here are some really good options. I don't know which ones are going to work the best for you, but try them all. And one or two or three are going to hit home for you. And so it makes it a little bit better than saying, here's the box fit in it. It's more like, here's the box, here's the circle, here's the triangle, here's the rectangle, you know, figure out which one you want and maybe mix and match, however you think it'll work. I don't know whether you can answer to this, Abby, but I mean, having worked in advertising for 30 years, there's plenty of research I've seen that trying to cram 40 seconds worth of copy into a 30 second radio ad on the other end of the speakers affects um, comprehension and, um, you know, motivation to buy. It, it must mm-hmm. be the same if, with what we're talking about here. It must affect your comprehension. I mean, I don't even understand why you'd want to listen to it at one and a half times. But, you know, that aside, there, there must be an effect in, in, in terms of your brain trying to keep up with that and, and how much you can actually absorb. Well, there's definitely some research on it. And the only reason I know is that I did some radio ads over the last summer for Revit Up Reading. And the radio station had taken my content and 
pretty much put it into a 10-second ad. And I was amazed. And they were able to put my website in there like three separate times and put in a couple of statements about it in, within 10 seconds. And I said to the, to the guy, I said, you know, why, are, why is it so compact? He said, because people will listen to things when they're delivered quickly. And I think about reading is that when you read slowly, you can daydream. You do, typically, because when you go slowly, you can think of other things, you can, you know, talk to people, you, uh, you know, you could do so many different things when you go slow, but the minute you speed up, you immediately have to focus. Just like if you want to go at one and a half times speed, there is nothing else you can be doing while you're listening to one and a half times speed. There's no way. You're focused on just that thing you're listening to. And the same thing with a radio ad or, or any ad that you, you listen to, the fat not the faster, but as it's delivered quickly, or professors, let's say, that talk quick, quickly, have more, people are more, um, have, pay more attention to than the ones that are so slow and really thoughtful. I mean, they're just so painful to listen. You see the difference? I yeah, slowed yeah, it down wrong. on purpose. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, and it's just like, okay, come on, give me the next word. Come on, I want to hear it. <laughs> I'm ready. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. But it goes so back I'm- to where we were at the top of the show, Abby. It depends on your intention as to why why you are listening. And I say to people, when you are looking to absorb information, it's either is it bringing you joy, is it making you feel good, or is it adding value to your world through information or new learnings? It's going to be sitting one of those two things. So I think... It's actually worth trying, but I think it's it depends situation as to what you're hoping to get from it. And I, I just want to take you back a bit, Abby, just because I'm conscious of our time together. I just want to take you back to your college days when you said you didn't even like to read in college. Like you said, it wasn't something that you enjoyed, yet you've now found yourself helping people to understand how to read reading efficiency and speed read. And I guess what I want to know is the link between that and one of the most important things that I think for us is how do we have our children fall in love with reading and learning? And I I would just be interested in your thoughts as a parent and as someone who's doing this and interacting, I suspect, with people who have children. From where you've been in your own journey, what, what suggestions would you give to people who are listening who have children as advice we could pass on to help our kids just fall in love with reading and learning because surely that's got to be a precursor to success in whatever they want to do what what would you say so it's an interesting concept right now that there are a lot of people that know how to read but they choose not to read because they don't either like who they are as readers, they feel they read slowly, they don't understand what they read, they don't get value out of it. And that to me is a huge travesty. And so what a parent can do, and I did this with my kids, of course, read to them. You know, read to them every night until they want to kick you out of their room. (laughs) I mean, you know, go get chapter books. As they get older, get Harry Potter, whatever it is, until they're just like, no, I'm on my own, mom, I don't need you anymore. But then to always be reading around them. So we got a newspaper in our house and my husband reads the newspaper religiously every morning. And so my kids started to read the sports section when they barely could read because they were interested in sports. And then they started to read other parts of the newspaper. And then I have my professional materials and my husband has his professional materials. So our kids would see us 
reading as an activity that we would do. And of course, taking them to the library and having them choose the books that they would like when they're younger, um, you know, being engaged in the activity of reading. And, and so the, once you're modeling it, it helps. Now, I will say that I have one of my sons, when he was in ninth grade, said to me, I will never read a book for school ever. I will never read a book. And I looked at him and I was horrified, of course. And I thought to myself, please, God, have him outgrow this. Please have him outgrow this. And, and it ended up, I, I understood that. He just didn't understand why, you know, you had to read. He didn't get that. And it wasn't that I even had to teach him any of the stuff I knew. It was more that he figured out on his own that when he wants to learn something, he needs to go look for it in reading material. Like every Christmas, I would get them, I would get each of my kids one book that is something that they had interest in, but they would never have gone for that, that I thought they would like. And thankfully, they have liked them and they have read them. And so now my, you know, I have one that graduated college, the other one is in the second year of college, and they're doing fine and they read on their own and it's lovely. But it's really about modeling for them that reading is an important activity. You just mentioned um, kids growing older. Is there any research you've come across, Abby, that shows the importance of reading as we age? I think it's about learn. It's always about learning new things. I think is more what the research talks about is that the more that you can continually learn, that's why lifelong learning is is really important. But especially as we age, to be constantly learning, experiencing, even traveling is great because you're, you're being exposed to new things. And so when you are overwriting the old stuff with new stuff, the brain likes that. And so that's kind of like crossword puzzles and Sudoku and things like that are great for the brain because you overwrite every time that you, you play one of those games. They're very helpful for the brain. So just learning something new is really good. Jeez, don't tell my dad that. That's his constant complaint about my mum. All she does is sit on the couch all day and play Sudoku. (laughs) (laughs) But I've tried to play Sudoku. It's a challenging game. Yeah, it is. It's not easy to do, you know? Just one final question, Abby, and this is just uh, something you said during the interview. You, You made a comment at one point. You said, oh, I've said that twice, to sit and read. There was a time going back, 20 odd years ago when I left the corporate world to work for myself and I wanted to learn about investment because I hadn't really done any of it. And I came across Robert Kiyosaki who wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I'd seen him speak. I'd been to a a conference and saw him speak, bought Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I distinctly remember every Saturday afternoon for months, I grabbed Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I think I read it six times, but I would read and walk. I lived near Sydney Harbour. I lived in a treed area. It was a really nice walk. I remember just absorbing myself in this book and I would read for an hour or something, but I would walk and read. And then I did it again and again to try and understand the philosophy so that I could then put into place. And then I look at the great Stoics and some of the great innovators like Steve Jobs who were great walkers. So they would have a problem or a meeting and they would walk to do it. Then I read some anecdotal evidence that said that if you actually exercise your mind whilst you exercise your body, you tend to, you're you're enhancing both the quality of your thinking, the connections in your brain, as well as obviously the physical part of it. And it's actually, there's some science that says that moving and learning enhances both capabilities. 
What do you know about that? Is that is that is there anything in that? And do we have to sit in order to focus and get into flow, or is there something that says that you could actually do this? Uh, audio books, obviously podcasts, you can walk and listen. But the terms of the reading, is there anything behind all this? So you're always looking for studies, and I wished I had known that before we got on the call because I would have been very happy to look for them. But what I can say, immediately when you said you were walking and reading, I think about people with their heads down now on their phones and how dangerous it is that they don't <laughs> see the people in front of them, that there's you know holes in the sidewalk or you know, you're going to fall. I'm surprised that you're still, you know, you didn't break a leg or something <laughs> when you did that. So, um, So I'm just thrilled for you that you were able to do that without any accidents. Um, but I, there is something about, you know, working out or exercising and getting more air into the body and learning at the same time. So that said, I will say that I do think that listening to like a podcast or uh, even an audiobook is a better option when you're on a treadmill or taking a long walk or run, because if you're trying to read the eyes, have, when you're moving up and down and you're, you know, you know, let's say on a treadmill and your eyes are trying to go left to right, it's very difficult for the eyes to do that accurately because your body is moving and your eyes are trying to track. It's not easy to do. And so you can learn more and think more when you don't have to worry about the physicality of it. Yeah. But again, I'm not going to say don't do it. Again, I'm more like, hey, if it works for you and it's not a problem, do it. Just be really careful <laughs> so you don't hurt yourself. <laughs> yeah. If, you have, if you have trouble walking and chewing gum, probably not a good idea yeah. to walk and read, yeah, right? Right. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> so, Abby, this has been such an enjoyable uh, time with you. I love your take. You, you present beautifully. You've obviously got a great passion for reading and learning. Where... For people who want to follow up with you, get a hold of the book, learn more about you and your work, where where's the best place to send people? Well, I have my website, uh, revituprreading.com, R-E-V-I-T-U-P, reading, revituprreading.com. So um, I do have my online course, which is the main thing, and, and I love that it sells all over the world. I open up my email every day and I see all over the world people are, are engaging with it. And so um, anybody can do that. As long as they speak English, it's in English. It's English based. <laughs> My ten days, the ten days to faster reading book is available on um, on all internet bookstores. It's also been translated into Chinese and Russian, which amazes the heck out of me that it, that it has been. And Complete Idiot's Got to Speed Reading is also available on, on internet bookstores, so they can find any of that. Well, this has been. I find it fascinating but also very, very useful. It's, it's useful stuff that we can finish the podcast and physically do. Abby, I know how much you got going on. We really appreciate your time. We're very grateful for you sharing. Thank you for joining us here. It's been, uh, it's been terrific. Well, I've totally enjoyed this. Can I, can I end with one piece of information that I wanted to say and I didn't get to? Yeah. I, should, <laughs> I, want, I wanted to spell a myth about speed reading that um, I probably should have done at the top of, the, of this interview is that some people think that speed reading is basically taking your finger down the page in like five seconds and then putting your finger down the next page in five seconds, turning the page five seconds down the page and five seconds down the p- next page. And that is what I call the superhuman ability of speed reading. It's not what I teach. That really what I help people do is to become more active, mindful, and conscious about the way that they read so they could double, maybe triple their speed, but more than that, to be more efficient and effective. And so 
just when people say speed reading, there's just this big myth around it that it's like, you know, reading War and Peace in five minutes. That's Woody Allen's quote, and it's a book about Russia. So it's not that. <laughs> it's definitely not that at all. Uh, have you it's heard funny, that quote? I, my, uh, that quote is so so famous, and I hate it, but I use it all the time. <laughs> But it's true. I, that's why I've, I've hedged away from saying speed reading in this show because I don't, I, I think it does carry that stigma. And I remember doing a course in America. It was, it was actually a workshop and one of the workshops was on speed reading. And the premise of this, it didn't work for me, but the premise of it was that you open a page of the book up and you stare into the centrefold of the book and your brain takes a, literally a photo of that page and then you turn it. And by doing so, what happens is the left-hand, right-hand page stay the same, but you end up with this sort of mounted little lump in the middle of the book when you visually look at it. And that's, that gives you the sign that you visually got it, your brain's taken it in. And I did this, it was like a session for an hour or so. We did it a number of times. I walked out, I got nothing out of it. And it just did not work for me. And I, so I have been, personally been very sceptical, which is why I've steered away from it. So I'm very pleased that you talked about it because hearing you looking at your stuff, it's, you're far from that. This is usable and practical. And uh, I think it's great. I think your whole, your whole philosophy is terrific. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. And, and I know what, exactly what program you're looking at because I certainly read uh, and look at other people's programs. And that program, I just had to roll my eyes and go, I know that there's a small po- part of the population that can do that, but the majority can't and they won't. And so they need something else, and that's where I think my stuff comes in. It works with picture books. I was going to say, after today, Thomas the Tank Engine will never be the same again. (laughs) Thank you, Abby. Really appreciate your time. You're terrific, and I hope we can keep in touch with you. Thank you, and I hope to have a Dos Equis with you at some point, someday. (laughs) See, someone's been doing her research too. (laughs) Oh, Oh, yes, I've been listening. I have been listening. Thank you. I've totally. We don't always drink beer, but when we do, we drink Dos Stay thirsty, my friend. Yes, thank you. Take care. Ladies and gentlemen. If you are just tuning in, we are going to kick ass. Supreme. The Mojo Radio Show. Many, many moons ago when I was at school, my parents sent me off for speed reading lessons, obviously in the hope that they would be helping me with my studies. And something that we talked about in that episode truly resonates with me because I never got into the rhythm. I never understood it. And I found it hard to take away anything from just scanning down a page and and glancing at words. So it's interesting when you hear her break things down about reading the opening paragraph of the chapter and that setting up the rest of the chapter and knowing whether you can whether you need to read that or not. It just makes it so simple, doesn't it? Well, yeah, but there's a there's a bit before that is that when you get sent off to a speed reading course and it's about getting your eyes as quickly as you can on the page. Mm. I think straight up you're setting yourself up or setting others up or setting children up for failure. I think that where we went with that interview around reading efficiency with how you approach it with the right attitude, how you make the most of a book, rereading books, immersing yourself into it. And now, of course, the other thing that, that Abby hadn't really spoken about before, which I think is a great thing for us to explore into the future, is uh, efficiency with listening to podcasts and audiobooks because it used to be you had to buy a book when you were a kid. Yeah. Now you may not like reading, you may not like sitting, but you can do it whilst you walk but still get all the value by having audiobooks and or I think podcasts. And I think a lot of cases people are not buying books now because 
they will hear of a great author. And if you go into into iTunes, you can essentially find any great author will have done an interview somewhere. And if the interviewer is worth their worth their salt, they will have dug into the book and given you a pretty good synopsis, which would be same as Abby saying, is you go to the contents, you look at the index, you go to the first line of every paragraph. That really should come from any good interview. Uh, so these days, it's more about learning and learning efficiency as opposed to speed reading, which I think Abby sort of cleared up pretty good for us. Mm. And I've also I've also got a new challenge which flows over to AP as well. I think I'm going to have to get AP to slow down his voiceovers by half. So when someone's listening to the show like you is listening to the show at one and a half speed because you know you want to get through it, that it actually sounds like he's doing it in real time, not sped up. That's my new challenge. The Mojo Radio Show. Now, to take us out this week, here is a summary of a a story that I wrote on LinkedIn, which uh, I was actually quite surprised at the reaction to it. But I I do a blog each week called The Espresso. It goes down on Wednesday afternoons. I normally find four or five, six cool ideas from around the world. I write them up with a really quick story and my take on it, why I think it's valuable or why I think it's ridiculous. And in addition, I write an editor's note. This week, I just did the editor's note because I thought it was actually really important. And here's the, here's the setup to it, right? So I'm going into town to do a gig. I'm sitting on the bus. Actually, I was standing. I was standing on the bus and looking down at this guy who had his phone open. And what I was curious about is he wasn't on social. He was in his photo album. And he was scrolling through his photos and they're all of his family. And he'd stop. And he would enlarge the photos so he could see the photos of himself, his kids and his wife. And then seemingly for a minute, two minutes, which is quite a long time in this day and age, he would just stare at it. What I really liked about it was that he was staring at who he loved and who loved him. Now, here's my lesson from all this. Back in episode 138, which was a cracking show for anybody who's new to our program, Emily Fletcher from Ziva Meditation and Ziva Mind in New York was brilliant. And Emily talked about gratitude and how simply by thinking about what you're grateful for, it changes the health, the connections and the operation of your brain. Simply by thinking about it right now, if you stop this podcast, think, what am I grateful for? It'll change the connections and the health of your brain. And I think that's super powerful. And now there's science to back that up. Here's my take on it. By this guy not going to social and living in everybody else's world, but going into his own world and staring at who he loved and who loved him, I believe that stimulates a whole stack of great emotions. And to me, that's the ultimate form of gratitude. And you don't have to have a journal. You don't have to sit down the pen and paper and do all these things or meditate or be mindful. I think all those things can happen when you just stare at a photo. So that's my take out is that rather just scroll through 24-7 through other people's lives through social, you've got gratitude in your pocket all the time. Don't you reckon that's a good takeout? I think that's a great takeout. I really do. And it, 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 it makes me want to get inside that guy's head listening to you tell that story to know what inspired that. But I think, geez, we all know we could spend less time on social media and there's a fantastic alternative. Well, we just, 
we, the thing, I think we overcomplicate everything. Like Da Vinci said, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. It's taking things that are simple, applying them. That's where the sophistication is. And I think you see 90% of people walk around the city on any given day, any town, any city. They get their phone in their hand like it's a life support system. But you've got gratitude right in front of you. And through one click, you can immerse yourself. And looking at someone who loves you, that's such a, that's such a privilege. And someone that you love, imagine what's going off emotionally in your system, the connections that are firing off subconsciously and consciously. To me, that has to be the ultimate. And I don't have any research to back this up. This is purely my hallucination. But I think it's a powerful thing to do. We always have with us. And I'd say to anybody at the bus stop, anybody waiting for a meeting, anybody, when you, instead of flicking through the social, just go to your photo album and find one photo. And rather than just flicking through, just stop on a photo, enlarge it, and spend 60 seconds and immerse yourself in that photo and go, you know what? Bloody hell, I'm glad that person loves me. What a privilege. Because there are people in this world who are very sad right now who don't have that privilege, and we take it for granted. And I get a cracking song to take us out. Go on. GT. Oh, more GT. We had a little bourbon and scotch the other week. What are we going to do this week? Who do you love? We're out.
dark and the sky was blue Now the alleyway I kinda like flew Well I hit up my man, somebody screamed You should have heard just of what I seen Who do you love? Who do you love? Who do you love? Yeah, I walked 47 miles of barbed wire I got a cobra snake for a necktie Ran the house along the roadside, made a Texas rattlesnake hide. I got a brand new chin that made a bit on top, and it's a man out of human skull. Come on, take a little walk with me, child. Tell me, who do you love? Who do you love? Who do you love? Who do you love? Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peter speaking. See you next time.